Access to data enables rare disease stakeholders to do more and accelerate results. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is becoming as savvy about clinical data as clinicians and researchers. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to be empowered data owners and stewards. Attend the Data DIY workshops and view resources at globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Mitochondria are the powerhouses of the cell and play a critical role in a number of rare diseases. Mitochondria have their own DNA, and Minovia Therapeutics is seeking to develop cell therapies designed to repair damaged mitochondrial DNA using autologous stem cells that have been enriched with blood-derived mitochondria. We spoke to Natalie Yvgiohana, co-founder and CEO of Minovia, about the company's mitochondria augmentation therapy how it works, and why it may point the way for treating more common conditions such as Alzheimer's disease. Natalie, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you. We're going to talk about mitochondrial disease, Minovia, and your efforts to develop cell therapies to treat these conditions. Let's start with mitochondrial disease first. What's the range of these conditions, and what do they share in common? So we actually don't really know exactly what's the prevalence of mitochondrial diseases because they are not very well diagnosed. It's getting better in the past few years, and the assumptions is around 1 in 5,000 patients. And this is when we are talking about the rare inherited mitochondrial diseases, um, meaning primary mitochondrial disease that are caused by mutations to the mitochondrial DNA or to proteins that are encoded by the nucleus and goes to the mitochondria. Um, and what's common to all of them is dysfunctional mitochondria where you get less um, um, production of the energy, ATP, in the cells. Mitochondria, I take it, have been described as the powerhouse for the cells. Is that right? That's right. So mostly it is known for producing most of the cell's energy demands, more than 90% of the cell's energy demands. But actually mitochondria are known to have many other functions, such as steroid hormone production, which occurs in the mitochondria. It controls the decisions of cell proliferation or cell death, which is the apoptotic cell pathway. So it's actually life and death in the hands of mitochondria. You recently began dosing your first patient in a study of your mitochondrial augmentation therapy for the treatment of Pearson syndrome. What is Pearson syndrome? How does it manifest itself and how does it progress? So Pearson syndrome is a pediatric disease that affects only about 100 patients in the world. So it's a, an ultra rare disease and it's, it is caused by a deletion in the mitochondrial DNA. So mitochondria has the, their own DNA encoding to about 37 genes. And Pearson syndrome 
is caused by a deletion to that DNA, and it's multiple and variable. So you can get multiple deletions and in different sites in the in the mitochondrial DNA genome. And what it actually causes is a multi-systemic disease that starts in infancy with a, a bone marrow a phenotype with high anemia, sideroblastic anemia. And as the child progresses, it gets to a more systemic disease with involvement of the pancreas, the kidney, the muscles, the brain, and even the liver and other and other organs are affected. And eventually, these patients die because there is no available treatment to this terrible disease. So what's the prognosis for someone with this condition? How long might they survive? So usually, there are two phases to this disease. At the first stage, it's a hematologic condition, and the patients are blood transfusion. And they, if they survive that stage, usually most of them die about the age of four or five. But if they survive the hematologic condition, they develop into a more um, neurological and more severe condition called Kern-Siren syndrome. But then they can survive up to the age of 14 or 15. I think that's the most that was um, known. Your cell therapy is the first to be tried in human patients. What is the cell therapy? How is it prepared and how is it delivered? So we are actually doing a mitochondrial cell therapy, meaning we uh, we use the cell, the, the hematopoietic stem cells from the patient, the CD34 positive cells, and we load them outside the body with normal mitochondria. So we take mitochondria from the mother which is not a donor in the case of Pearson syndrome. She is not a donor of the mutated mitochondria. So we take normal mitochondria from the blood of the mother, and we use them to augment CD34 positive cells from the patient. And then we infuse the cells back to the patient, and that's mitochondrial augmentation therapy. So it's supplementing CD34 positive cells with normal and healthy mitochondria. And what is the significance of using CD34 positive cells? What's the reason for using this particular cell type? Okay, so the idea is to use a cell type that could engraft back to the patient, such as hematopoietic stem cells that goes back to the bone marrow and start producing more cells, normal cells, with normal mitochondria. And those can circulate throughout the body, being hematopoietic stem cells or being blood cells, they can circulate throughout the body and be distributed in any in every organ. And the literature shows that there is transfer of mitochondria between cells. So if there is a damage in certain organ and cells are recruited to that specific organ, they can actually donate and transfer normal mitochondria to, to damage cells in distal organ. And because you're using the patient's own cells to deliver new mitochondria, does that avoid the risk of an immune response? Exactly, exactly. So there are autologous. They are driven, they are derived from the patient's own uh, bone marrow. So we don't need to immunosuppress the patient, and we don't give any chemotherapy before to condition the patient. So it's a very safe procedure. And are you actually replacing the mitochondria in the patient's cells, or you just delivering or growing new mitochondria? So we are only enriching the cells with normal mitochondria. We do not get rid of the damaged mitochondria. This is something that's supposed to happen in the cells by a natural thing. So every cell has a quality control machinery for the mitochondria. And if mitochondria are damaged, they will be removed from the 
from the cycle by a process called mitophagy. And if mitochondria are good, they will proliferate inside the cell. So we are only enriching the cells with normal mitochondria, assuming that the cell will have the ability to replace the damaged mitochondria by the, by the good one. And what's happening inside the patient once those cells are transplanted? So, <laughs> so actually, as I mentioned, the assumption is that the, some of the cells will home back to the bone marrow and start proliferating. And some of them will home to distal organs and have a cross-correction effect, probably by uh, secreting uh, growth factors or uh, probably by transferring good mitochondria to distal tissues. Those are all mechanisms of actions that we are currently uh, studying in the lab. What we do know that since we did a compassionate use uh, program in Israel to three patients with Pearson syndrome, we can actually see a systemic improvement in those patients in multiple organs. So, for example, a child, the first patient who was treated 28 months ago and had a, a renal failure and a tubulopathy, we could actually see reversion of the tubulopathy when electrolytes are no longer running away from the urine and he stopped being supplemented by certain electrolytes that he used to be for years before the treatment. So this is a distal organ effect and we could actually see it starting at two months after the treatment. There was also a fourth patient with a related condition. Did it have a benefit there as well? Yes. So that patient had mostly a neurological condition with the brain damage, a very severe brain damage. Um, and we could observe an improvement in epileptic seizures that this child used to have and stroke-like episodes. So there is a good benefit over the brain as well, and this is something that we are also trying to understand how exactly it happens. In animal models, we could see that there is a distribution of the good mitochondria or the healthy mitochondria in the brain in addition to the bone marrow. So that could explain that. If all goes well, what's the development path forward? So this is the the present trial that is now um, now started is uh, supposed to recruit seven patients, and um, if that all goes well, we hopefully will submit everything to the FDA together with the four patients that were already treated. And being such an ultra rare condition, we hope to approve this for all Pearson patients. And we are now working to have a, a clinical site and manufacturing site in the U.S. so we can actually approve this as fast as we can. But that will take about six, four months to, to dose all, all seven patients and then one year of follow-up for all of them. So in a year and a half, we hopefully will be able uh, to submit everything to the FDA towards approval. And then we have also an extended access program where we can actually treat other patients, such as the current siren syndrome patients, which is a different indication that can benefit from the same um, from the same treatment, and eventually move on to the next indications, which are more inherited mitochondrial diseases, where we can use an allogeneic source of mitochondria, not from the mother, since the mother is also a donor uh, of the of the damaged mitochondria, and move to other indications such as Milas or Lee syndrome, which are also very devastating diseases. And does this have the potential to serve as a proof of concept for this approach to treating a much wider range of mitochondrial diseases? 
So we believe it is because not only there are primary mitochondrial diseases like I described, there are acquired mitochondrial diseases or diseases where mitochondria are known to be involved but the mechanism was not yet uh, resolved. And we do believe that, you know, a supplement in cells, especially stem cells with good mitochondria, will have a benefit for other diseases such as age-related uh, neurodegenerative diseases and more. So we do believe that that's an option, but we would like to take a different approach and study first those diseases and the effects of mitochondria in them, the contribution of mitochondria, and then see if we can set up a clinical trial that will make sense in terms of those diseases and the, and the treatment that we suggest. Do you expect this to be a one-time administered treatment? So we don't know yet. For the primary mitochondrial diseases, uh, we are now 28 months after the first treatment, and the child still improves. So it could be that it will be a single treatment, but we keep on following up in these patients until we will know. The second patient was treated 19 months ago, and the third one uh, 16 months ago. The last one was 10 months ago. So we keep following up. Until now, we didn't have to retreat that. They just keep on proving with time, and it makes sense. But maybe for the acquired mitochondrial diseases, it will require a second treatment. I should note, in addition to the clinical trial news, you had two other recent announcements I'd like to touch on. Menovia, which is based in Haifa, Israel, recently announced its opening an office in Cambridge, Massachusetts. What's the thinking there? So being such a, you know, a group of rare and devastating diseases with unmet, really unmet medical needs, need ideas to open small clinical centers in the U.S., in Europe, and in Japan. So the first one is in U.S., and we are now uh, working with a big clinical center uh, to be the first clinical site in the U.S. Uh, with manufacturing and, and medical um, uh, care. And the office in Boston will actually have, help us facilitate that. And the meeting in Washington, the UMDS meeting, actually allowed us to contact uh, many other centers that have the most um, mitochondrial disease patients so we can uh, expand our uh, access to patients because the idea is that if indeed this is works, we should be able to treat as many patients as possible in a relatively short time. So this aims to bring this therapy uh, to more patients worldwide and not only in Israel. You also announced that you've appointed John Cox as chairman of the board. Cox was previously the CEO of BioVerative, which Sanofi acquired for $11.6 billion. This was a company developing treatments for hemophilia. Why Cox and what does he bring to the company? So I think John, with his vast experience in manufacturing, can really speed up approving our therapies. Um, by the FDA. He has so much experience in CMC and how to, to for G, everything that has to do with GMP manufacturing. So that's his experience from Biogen, actually. And in BioVerative, I think he set up a culture for rare diseases that, that puts the patients and families in the center. And this is something that we want to do, just like he did in the field of blood rare disorders. We want to do the same for mitochondrial rare disorders. And that's right, John. Natalie Yivgi-Ohana, co-founder and CEO of Minovia Therapeutics. Natalie, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Daniel. Have a good day. 
Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.